But good morning. I know many of you were, have been watching the news and you have been uh, aware of what's going on in our country. I, I think it's nothing that we, it takes us by surprise anymore. I know that there are a lot of things going on today. Um, I have to be a little bit joyful, though, because of my wife. Uh, her birthday's today. And uh, I saw someone put on her post, um, Happy Womb Escape. I don't know what that's all about, but, but uh, maybe, maybe that's a new way of saying it. But uh, just, to, just to clarify, uh, I think she's still in her 40s. I think I'm 10 years older than she is, somewhere in there. Uh, I think she'd agree with me on that. But no, I'm, I'm actually only three years older. She has uh, become more beautiful uh, with her age, uh, inside and out. And I told her that when I married her. And uh, we also celebrate in June our, our 36th year anniversary. My son is here today, too. He's 34 today, right, Josh? And I told him he's almost halfway uh, through life. And, uh, but he's born the same day, uh, not the same year, of course, but the same day as my wife. And so he's here. What a blessing. Uh, but back to the, the whole situation, I just felt like I needed to change things a little bit this morning and direct my focus upon what I think is is helpful for all of us to know um, and uh, kind of maybe just reset a little bit uh, and help us understand what we should do uh, during this time uh, of, of not only the, the coronavirus, but also the riots that are going on. These are not protests. Uh, there's a difference between a protest and a riot. Uh, maybe we should clarify that and, and not allow them to, to come up with their own dictionary. Um, and, and help them understand a little bit more of, of how we can handle these things. If you damage anything that's not yours, uh, you will be fined for it. Uh, I was concerned a little bit about uh, our, our concern about a meeting today, that, that there was some, supposed to be some spies coming in maybe and checking out churches, and, and I was thinking that if they would catch us, you know, not social distancing in here, that they would give us a fine. You've heard this, $1,000, and someone even said $1,000 per head and so on. And uh, whatever it may be, I think if they come in here, um, we would pay the fine uh, because we're going to gather still now, and uh, the church doors are going to be open. This is not going to become something that they can use against, the, the, against our God. If we have to, we'll get some lawyers, because this is absolutely essential that we meet together. And, uh, and I want to just tell you, too, personally, I, I have no fear in me. The only fear I have is the fear of God. And we ought to fear him who can send us to hell. That's who we ought to fear, and the, the God of heaven, not a religion. Don't place your faith upon your religion. Make sure it's, your faith is on Jesus Christ. He is the provision and the provision alone. I recently was able to meet with some Amish families that were talking to me about things and, and that were, uh, um, they were actually had the coronavirus uh, among themselves and there's nobody that social distances more than the Amish people. And so, uh, so social distancing really doesn't have much effect uh, on this particular virus, whatever it may be. And so, um, but I met with them recently and I was talking to them a little bit more of the Lord Jesus Christ and presenting to them how they need to trust in the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and um, completely. And how that one of the young ladies that had come out of the Amish uh, structure 
and uh, or religion or whatever it is. Um, she is a born-again Christian, had been baptized by immersion, and she says that she couldn't be baptized in the Amish uh, church that she was in because she actually put a straight pin in the back of her collar to pull her shirt up a little tighter to make it look better, and that was a prideful thing, and so they wouldn't baptize her because of that. And uh, I thought, how, how, how ridiculous it is that we come up with our own little rules, our little little guidelines, when we ought to have the liberty of just loving the Lord and loving our God, loving his people, and being able to have that liberty and enjoy one another. And so I thought it would be good to talk to you from the heart a little bit this morning concerning what is going on and what, are the, what, what is really the answer that, that we need to have. And I think it's in this one verse. Um, let's go ahead this morning and, and dissect this a little bit. Let's look at it and pick at it a little bit. Uh, if, you, if you take one verse, uh, Jack Hiles is really good at this, you take one verse and then build upon that and uh, could, could actually do a little bit better than the average preacher to expound on it and then to persuade you. He was a great persuader. Uh, in, in this particular verse, though, there are things that I think are key and crucial that if we just read it rather quickly, we may end up believing something that really is not necessarily true. And so look, at, look what it says. It says, where there is no vision. And uh, let me just read the whole verse to you again. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. And by the way, when you see the THs, you can just use the word S. It's a little easier. Uh, you won't get tongue-tied so much in it. And so keeps uh, is the same word, of course, for the word guard. But it says where there is no vision. And so what does that word mean? What is it actually Saying Is it saying where there is no dreams, uh, where there is no vision? I mean, behind me uh, this morning, there is a, a banner up for 2020, and it was 2020 vision was the desire. And, of course, we chose the part where it had the Word of God uh, underneath the, the word vision because that's where we get our vision from. And this is the kind of sight that we need to have. And so when Proverbs was being written, this particular one, the, the writer of it was conveying that, that where there is no vision, the people are going to perish. That word vision is dealing with a, a divine inspired oracle from heaven. That's what it's actually saying. If you take the Hebrew word and, and look at it and read it, you'd understand that it means the law, of course, where there is no law, where there is no uh, inspired revelation, where there is no scripture being taught, no spiritual sight, where there is no really, you could take it further and say, where there is no gospel preaching, the people are going to perish, where they're not listening to really what the God of heaven says. And so we know that this particular verse has this structure and, 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 and has given us some help to understand that where there is no preaching of the word of God to that particular generation, that people are going to perish automatically. In fact, if you were to look at the word perish here, where it says the people will perish, um, that, that particular um, word, I don't know if you have in your margin of your Bible another um, maybe another definition of that. It says to be, to be naked, it says, or, or to be without any ability to cover yourselves with righteousness or good deeds or whatever. Uh, where there is no people, where there is no vision, the people perish. I looked a little further with this word, and it means to become disorderly. 
to fall backward, to deteriorate. And what this particular word is telling us here, this verse so far, is where there is no scriptural basis being taught to a, to a, to a culture or, or to a generation. The people are going to fall back and rot. That's what it's saying. And so we understand that what's going on in our country today. We see what's happening in Minneapolis. We see what's happening in other bigger cities. But it actually has come to Madison now, where there was uh, 70, uh, I think it was 75 different businesses were damaged. Did you know that Goodman Jewelers has been there 80 years and has never had anything happen to them like what happened last night? But we've been so desensitized that we think, well, maybe it'll all go away. No, it's only going to get worse. Yes. These, are anarch- these are people that would like to see anarchy, to be honest with you. They are not uh, uh, protesters. They, they, they believe that, that they actually have the right to destroy property. They believe that. And they actually are, are phoning one another as they're doing it. Come down here. The police aren't here. You come on over here. And they're actually communicating back and forth to be able to find out where the police aren't so that they can destroy more things. I'll tell you, what we need to do is we need to pray for the chief of police. We need to pray for the sheriff because these guys got a lot of weight on their shoulders. I think that they should have gone through every single person in those videos that are destroying something need to be prosecuted. They need to be brought before a judge. Because if we allow this to go on, folks, it'll only get worse faster. And so it's important for us to understand that the reason we're in the dilemma right now is because where the people have no direct communication of the Word of God, they are going to deteriorate. They are going to destroy one another. I was thinking about this concerning the need when it came to the Bible when I grew up. I mean, I I was born in 1961, and so um, there was a lot going on then. Uh, My mom and dad were, of course, um, living in McFarland, Wisconsin, um, or they were living, I was born in Madison General, not, not sure if they were living in McFarland yet. I know that they moved there and bought a house when I was around five years old, um, a beautiful place there on Milwaukee Street. But I can remember the culture somewhat back then. I remember walking to school. I remember walking down to the post office and get the mail and bring it home at the age of five, six, seven years old. I remember walking by and talking to people in the community and going into stores and coming out and having no fear. I remember drinking my first Mountain Dew at George's supermarket there across from Larry's Pharmacy. It just seemed like their names were on everything. And uh, I'd go in and talk to Larry, uh, Larry's Pharmacy, where I could go in there, and they had, they had um, comic books, and I used to stare at them uh, and just maybe once in a while look at one of them. And then there was penny candy in there. If you go back to that particular era. But I think on June 25th, 1962, the United States Supreme Court decided in angle against Vital that, that a prayer approved by the New York Board of Regents for use in schools violated the First Amendment by constituting an, established, an establishment of religion. And so the following year... In Abington School District versus Shemp, the court disallowed Bible readings in public schools for similar reasons. 
These two landmarks, Supreme Court decisions centered on the place of religion in place in public education, and particularly the place of Protestantism, which had long been accepted and has given American faith tradition. Both decisions ultimately changed the face of America, of American civil society, and in turn helped usher in the last half of the cultural war, if you would be, if you would. And I think that we go back and say, how can this happen? By those that were in authority saying that they could not have the Bible in the school and they could not have prayer within the school. That actually this would cause trouble if it's not being interpreted by the parents or or interpreted by uh, leaders from the church, that it would cause them mental issues. That's what they were saying back in 1963. It's amazing how far we've come. And it's amazing what damage that decision has done to our culture today. And our decision to be able to to fight back a little bit, 1963, we heard of this. Madam Murray O'Hare won a lawsuit against the Baltimore school system, which voted her in favor 8 to 1. They voted 8 to 1 to ban school prayer and labeled it unconstitutional. Though not, all, not, not, though not all prayer was immediately banned from the schools at the time, through a process of time, almost all school prayer is banned today. They can't let you pray in school. In fact, if you were to grab your lunch and find some place and bow your head and pray, someone might talk to you. Might be some young peer might come over and say, you can't pray in school. I think it's important for us to understand a little bit how far we've come. And what has the effect of that been? Let me just give you a few things. This was written in an article um, that was done by the Bible School and the Constitution, the clash that shaped modern culture and state doctrine. Stephen K. Green is the one that wrote the article. It was in the Oxford University Press. But in here it was talking about the young people and how it affected them. For 15 years before 1963, pregnancies in girls' ages 15 to 19 years had been no more than 15 per thousand. After 1963, the pregnancies in that age group of young ladies, it increased 187%. Unbelievable. For younger girls, ages 10 through 14, pregnancies since 1963 is up 553%. Did this decision affect our culture to remove the scriptures from the school? Look what we had last night in our land. What can we do about this? Can we fight this? Can we, can, we, can, we, can we turn this around? I believe we can. I believe we can. If good men do not, if good men focus really on what God wants them to focus on, we can turn this around with a revival. I believe we can. I want to read a few more statistics to you since 1963. But by the way, this is this is it really has has affected the family too. Uh, let me give you these: before 1963, before uh, divorce rates had been declining declining for 15 years. Um, after 1963, the divorce rate increased 300 percent each year for the next 15 years. 300 percent. Since 1963, unmarried people living together is up 353%. 
And so that that tells me is that the pulpits really aren't preaching abstinence anymore. And, And we're not saying that living together is sin. The Bible says that chambering, the word chambering, is the same as living together, is sin. And it still is. But America doesn't think it is anymore. Since 1963, single-parent families are up 140%. Since 1963, single-parent families with children are up 160%. Did it affect our education program? Listen to this. The educational standard of measure has been the SAT scores. And the SAT scores have been steady for many years before 1963. From 1963 and on, they rapidly declined. For 18 consecutive years, even though the same test had been used since 1941. In 1974 to 75, the rate of decline of the SAT scores uh, decreased. And even though they continued to decline, that was when there was an explosion of private religious schools. There were only 1,000 Christian schools in 1965. Between 1974 and 1984, they increased to 32, they increased to 32,000. There was only 1,000. Do you know why? It's because there were men of God that said that we can actually teach our children here at our, our church. The ACE programs got started, and they started accelerated Christian education. And I'm not too familiar with that too much, although I did go to an ACE school for a period of time. And that was the answer. They brought the schools into the, the churches, and they began to build little small buildings for the Christian school. Many families began to, of course, um, homeschool. But how did it affect our nation? Let me, let me keep going here. Since 1963, violent crimes have increased 544%. Illegal drugs have become an enormous and uncontrollable problem. The nation has been deprived of an estimated 30 million citizens through through legal abortions, and, and they've eliminated that many or more since 1973. I think it all it all goes back to what was. What was lacking from that point till now was the Word of God being taught in the school system. They removed it. They removed prayer. They removed God. And by the way, it is offense in the modern schools today, it is offense if a teacher comes in and talks about his God or her God. Except if you talk about Buddha, if you talk about Confucius, or if you talk about, about Allah. You can do that in the school, but you can't talk about Jehovah, the God of heaven. And so what is the answer? Let me, let me just give this verse to you because there is hope and there is encouragement in this particular verse. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. So the Bible's basically giving us this contrast and saying that if people are going to fall back, and they're going to deteriorate, and they are going to rot, and the culture will become uh, to the place where there is going to be anarchy, which is the next step, really, for our nation if we don't turn this around. So what is the answer? The answer is the Word of God. 
In fact, the Bible says here, but he that keeps the law, and by the way, the word law here is the same word for precepts. And and remember, the Bible says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And so the scriptures are saying, happy is that person. Let me me just tell you that the, the happiest people that I meet are in the word of God every single day. Those are the happiest people I meet. I have an opportunity to meet a lot of people. And the only difference between the person who is weighted down with depression and discouragement and disillusion and, 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 and defeat, those people are not in the scriptures every single day. Because the scriptures give us an incredible amount of power. It gives us, it gives us direction. It gives us an, an, an incredible amount of strength to, to go day by day. I was thinking about this, and I came up with five things that I want to bring to you this morning. They are five essential answers in life that come from the Word of God that this generation is not getting. And now it's to the point where they want to say, I don't even care anymore. I'm going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to do what I want to do. And unless we get a grip on this, and by the way, the answer is for us to be salt and light. We are part of the solution. Yes, we must pray. Yes, we must, uh, we must um, uh, encourage others. But us personally can do things that are different at work to say, we're going to talk about the Lord. Every single person I come in contact with, I want to make sure that they know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And I want to be honest with you. This, the days in which we live have discouraged even the greatest of pastors. And I think when we look at the Zoom and all the different guys up there on the thing, I was watching the one not too long ago, and these pastors, some of the greatest fundamental independent Baptist pastors who have who've held the Word of God strongly are getting weaker because of what's going on in our culture today. What a sad thing. You know who's laughing? Satan's laughing. But God gets the last laugh. Remember that. According to Proverbs chapter number 1. And let me just give to you these five things that I think are essential, and it'll help you understand a little bit more of the culture we live in and what they need. The first thing is, is, is the answer to it uh, is found in the Scriptures, but here's the question. Where did I come from? Where did I come from? Simple question. Some of you will say, um, you know, you know where, where were you born? You know, from my mom, that kind of thing, you know. You say, well, where was I born? I was born in Madison, Wisconsin. Where were you born? Someplace in Illinois. Where were you born? You came from there. But I'm talking about where does mankind come from? Did you know there's something wonderful about the place in which you were born? And you go back to that place and you, you love it and you like it. And it does something emotional to you. And your feelings are really good. I think when I go into Meritor Hospital, which used to be the Madison General Hospital, when I walk in there, that's where I was born. And, and I'm glad I was born there. I have four siblings, and all of them are pigeon-toed. They were born at St. Mary's. <laughs> Don't go to St. Mary's. But it's interesting as you think about this, because many people don't know where they've come from. If you, if you talk to the average student today, they believe in, in this particular world we live in now, it's 65 million years old. That's what they think. Isn't that sad that you talk to a person on the street and they believe that they came from a monkey? Because of some teacher teaching it in the classroom? Shame on them. Every single person needs to know that they are loved and and they are from God. That God allowed them to be born. Life comes from the God of heaven. 
Satan wants to destroy it. But what a sad thing it is when we teach our culture to, to go after things that perhaps are, are so temporal and forget the eternal. I think it's important that we teach our children the right way. I appreciate Brother, Brother Paul. He's able to have devotions with his family regularly. And sometimes he'll say, I can't be at that meeting because I have a time with my family. We're having devotions. That's more important than having a meeting, isn't it? Because he's guiding them and helping them to know that they're loved. And what a blessing for the Millers to have Grandma downstairs and Grandpa downstairs and to be able to help out. What a wonderful heritage. Don't take it for granted. You Millers, listen to me. God has blessed you. You know where you came from. And certainly if he would take that and go out into the world and live like a heathen, shame on us. It's interesting as we think about this because it helps us understand a little bit more of our culture. They have no idea where they came from. Can you imagine the emptiness in a person's heart if they don't even know where they came from? Oh, what warmth comforts me when I think about my parents and them being in church and them leading me uh, to, to the Lord and, and helping me understand the scriptures. And when I meet with my parents today, it was, it's just a blessing. My mother called me the other day and she said, I have a friend. Can you come and see her? She's in stage four cancer. Her name is Joan. And I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if she was saved or not. So I took a little New Testament with me. I put some tracks in there. And I prayed before I got out of the car and I, and I walked up to that house. And you know, this lady blessed me. She blessed me because she told me when she was around 12, 13, 14 years old, she got on a bus here in Madison and went uptown to the YWCA and someone led her to Christ. Amen. Let me tell you something. Isn't that beautiful? You see, it's, it's important for us to know that the only answer uh, to the culture's need is the scriptures. Yes. We need the word of God more today than ever. It, not just to memorize it, but to meditate upon it and allow just even this one verse to sink into our minds where there is no vision, the people are going to perish. Where there is no word of God being taught and preached and taught to the kids, they're going to perish. You know how important the word of God is? You know how important this place is? You know, Satan would like to keep us quiet. You've got to put a mask on, Pastor, because when you preach, you get excited, you might spray. No, but she can go down and do all this perverted stuff downtown and no one does, does anything to those people. And they come in here and bother us? They have no masks. Where do I come from? Is that a question that you have today? Where, where did I come from? Your existence came from above. God gave you life. Don't throw it away. Live for him. I feel bad about this man who, who died over the last few days. and I've watched the video. Many of you have seen it. It hurts me to even watch it. Because I just want to jump into the video and grab that police officer and say, What do you think you're doing? Because I know what it's like to have pressure on your neck like that. And I know what it takes to take somebody out. And I don't know if, if, if he was even conscious the man doing it, if he's possessed or what, that he needed to get off that neck real quick. Because if he would have just taken one minute earlier and gotten off, that man would be alive today. 
It's a sad thing, isn't it? You say, well, this is probably somebody who needed that. Don't think that way. This man was a born-again Christian. Read the stories about him. He was a pillar for what is right and what is good. And sure, we all fall and make mistakes, and at times we slip backward, but this man knew the Lord. And there's no doubt in my mind that he's with the Lord this morning. I don't know where the police officer is going to go. I hope he gets saved. He needs to be saved. Amen? We ought to pray for our police officers for protection, but we ought to pray for prudence. Pray for wisdom. They would know when to apply that kind of restraint and when not to. This is called discretion. I remember talking to Jerry Rood years ago, and he was always telling me that that verse in Proverbs where it talked about discretion was the verse that he always prayed before he went to any, any call that God would give him the wisdom he needed. My heart's heavy this morning because our culture is deteriorating. And I've seen it happen since 1961 when I was born until now, it's 58 years, I'll be 59 next week. And it's, it's gone downward, folks. And I, I tell you what, the answer is here, by the way. But let me get to that. The, the second thing. Number two. What is, what is another essential answer that people need to know? Who shall I worship? Who shall I worship? You see, there is, every, there, there is a need in every person, and I really believe the first need is to, is to work. I believe every person desires to work. I had a call from one of the guys from the RU wanted to come over and pull some weeds the other day at the church here and, and do some work outside, and, and I didn't get to see him working. I was working in here, but there is a desire for people to do something, and there's a need for us to be able to do something and work. And when we don't work, we don't feel worth much. We want to work. I think we ought to take every single person that was involved with this riot and line them up and make them clean it up, put them to work. Maybe they're not used to working. Maybe they're used to just getting free gifts. I don't know. But when it comes to this whole thing of work and worship, who do I worship? It's a question people have. Maybe you're wondering, who am I supposed to worship? You're supposed to worship the God of heaven. He is the creator of all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I love Psalm 19. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The line, that particular Hebrew word means sound voice, their sound voice is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world, in them that hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. It's interesting as we think about this because there's many people that don't know who to worship. So they start looking at everything else around them. And they would like to worship things rather than worship the God of heaven. Isn't it a wonderful blessing that you were born into a home where your mom and dad worship the Lord? I'm talking about all religions. And I'm not talking about religions of a different kind, but if you were born in America, back in the day, everybody knew that Jehovah was the God of heaven. Everybody knew that. It was a normal thing to go to church. 
It was part of the moral compass within us to do something and worship the Lord. And boy, we felt better Sunday afternoon because we were able to worship God. That was such a need in in, in mankind. And, And sometimes when we're thinking about what does someone need, they need to worship. But whom shall I worship? Worship God, the God of heaven. He's the only one that sent his son, only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to be your savior. That's the one we need to worship. I think about how that this pluralistic thought has even seeped into our, our, our churches today. You know, all these other different gods and different ways of worship. Because a lot of people are thinking, okay, now I know who to worship, but how do I worship him? That's the next question. Question number three. How shall I worship? Isn't, it the, isn't this the question that was actually brought out in Genesis chapter 4 with the two brothers? One of them brought a blood sacrifice. The other one brought fruit from the garden. Certainly God would respect both of them, but he didn't. He only respected the blood sacrifice. He only respected the blood sacrifice because it pointed to the blood of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Who should I worship? Worship the God of heaven. How should I worship him? Worship him in spirit and in truth. Isn't this the question that was answered to the lady at the woman at the well? Didn't he talk about how that they ought to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth? That's what's so wonderful about our Christian life is that we can worship the Lord. Even in the break room, we can worship the Lord. And sometimes we can get together with people at work and, and have a time of prayer and have a, have a little meeting with them and we can sit down and talk about the Lord and have like a little church session because we worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, yes, but also in truth. Isn't it wonderful that you know the truth and the the truth has made you free? Aren't you glad about that this morning? Interesting as we think about this, because there are certain questions that people have. You know, where did I come from? Who shall I worship? It's amazing how that Hindu has 32 million different gods. Talk about confusion. And by the way, there is uh, a culture we live in right now today. There are people out there that want to bring confusion to us. They do. Let me get back with the message. So how am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to live? That's a good question, isn't it? When we face trials, people say, what am I supposed to do with this? Aren't you happy that the Bible tells us that God is going to allow us to go through trials? And it is given to us so that we would actually build up our faith, that we would mature in our walk with God, that trials wouldn't destroy us, that they would build us up and strengthen us. And I really believe that these particular times of trials come at, at a time in your life that you're strong, you get stronger and stronger, and then the temptation comes when Satan tries to deteriorate that or destroy that part of, 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 of God's building up in your life. And that's why it's important for us not to give in to temptation. Because every time you're tempted, and by the way, all of us are tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. So it's not sinful to be tempted. What's sinful is giving in to the temptation. So in order to understand this whole process, how do I live life? When you go through trials, realize it's just for a little period of time, but everything's going to be okay pretty soon. Life is kind of funny, isn't it? 
You have good times and you have bad times. You have dark times and you have really bright times. You have times when you're in the valley and you have times when you're on the mountain. How many like it when you're on the mountaintop? You know, you ever find yourself in some days you go to work and you say, man, must have been that Pepsi I just drank. I'm feeling pretty good, man. I can get a lot of work done and just kind of like crazy and you're getting everything done. You ever get that way? You ever, where your mind's just clicking and you're thinking, man, I'm not so bad up here, man. You ever think that way? And then sometimes you're going, dude, what is going on with my noggin? You ever have days like that? Huh? You have cloudy days when it's not just the cloudy outside, but it's cloudy in the brain. And you're thinking, man, you know, I've, I've taken off from here to head home sometimes. And pretty soon I'm going down the wrong road. I'm thinking, what am I doing over here? All of a sudden, I woke up, realized I was in somebody else's car. No, I'm just kidding. You. <laughs> Blame it on the brain. Sometimes we have those times in life where it just seems like it goes a little longer. It's hard for me to stay behind this pulpit. I want to keep moving around and walk around, trying to be a nice pastor here. But uh, I remember times in my life where, where there was short periods of, of cloudy days. And then I remember times when there was like long periods of time with cloudy days. It's, it's like the trials uh, got longer and they got deeper. Uh, they got more difficult as life progressed. And how do we live that way? Isn't that a question? Can you imagine what it would be like trying to live without the scriptures? It may come to that someday. But praise God, we still have the the divine inspired word of God before us. And praise God that we still have a culture where there are Bibles being printed, where there's preaching going on this morning. There are people that are saying, open up the Bible and look at the text. I love that. Someone recently wrote to me, I think he's in his 80s, wrote me this morning early. And he wrote me and he said, thank you for these little Bible briefs that you're bringing out because they are short. They are directive, they are concise, they're sound, they're sensible. I texted him back, or I messaged him back, and I said, thank you for that. But thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord all these years. Stay the course and be a happy older person. Interesting as we think about this, but there are other questions. Not only, uh, not only where do I come from, You know, who shall I worship? How shall I worship? Um, How am I supposed to live? But lastly, and here's the most important one, where am I going to go when I die? It's interesting because I really believe that a person needs to live in this world, in this culture. You can be the best Christian you can be, but if you're not humble, you're going to have a difficult time in this world, in this culture. Humility is absolutely essential. In Micah 6, 8, the wonderful verse, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. That's really the requirement for us. But how then does a person get to heaven? Where am I going to go when I die? And by the way, the Bible actually gives us a declaration of that and helps us understand a little bit more concerning it. Why don't you turn your Bibles to Matthew, if you would, with me? 
Matthew chapter 22. And I'm not going to read this whole thing to you for the sake of time. Is it already that time already? Is it 11.15? I think we got started late, so I get a few more minutes, right? Isn't that the reasoning? Let's pop up the clock up there if you could for me, fellas. That would help me a lot. <laughs> I was listening to, watching some documentaries on the Amish, and sometimes they go three hours, and so I don't feel so bad. If your stomach starts growling, you can pick out your sack lunch and eat it if you want. I just want to close with this. It's an incredible story. Because Jesus is answering some Pharisees. And in that particular answer, he gives to them the truth of heaven and hell. I'm just going to read it to you. Beginning verse number 1 of chapter 22 of Matthew. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. But they would what? Not come. And again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all the things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his farm, another to his merchandise. You know, everybody has something, don't they? Everybody has something. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. And so this king, who was going to have a wedding for his son, had servants that were slain. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. And then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye, therefore, into the highways. And as many as you shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found, both good and bad. And the wedding was furnished with guests. But look at verse 11. It says, And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man, which had not a wedding garment. He saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? He was speechless. And he said to the king, of course, he said, to the, he said to the king, to the servants, then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, and few are chosen. What an incredible portion of scripture. To help us understand that God wanted us to understand the kingdom of heaven is like this. There is a God. And by the way, he's using a parable with as a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And the heavenly meaning is this. God 
sent his son, Jesus Christ. And he sent out servants to tell people that they could come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. They could all sit down and dine together and have that wisdom there, like it says in Proverbs chapter 9, how it's all been fixed for them if they were to come. And there was people that would reject him. But then they would say, everybody can, not just the Jews, because that's what he's talking to first, the Matthew is speaking to the Jew, but then it goes beyond that. Because it was first in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Go tell the gospel to these people. And, and, And by the way, all the Gentiles have been preached to, they also can be part of this. And so they came, one by one, maybe two in one household, maybe the whole household. They came to the wedding. He's talking about the reception of Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. There is no other truth right now that this culture needs that where there is no vision, the people are going to perish. And the truth of the matter is, Matthew chapter 22 needs to be stamped someplace up at the Capitol so people could see the truth. And by the way, the, the best way to fight this is to lead people to Jesus Christ. And, and by the way, if you, if you look at Lancaster, California, it used to be a hub for all of the druggies, prostitution. They all came up from Los Angeles to Lancaster. has now been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the city hall, they gather together in the city hall, and they pray in Jesus' name. The leaders do. And every chance they get, they have a concert down there where they bring in and sing hymns to the city hall. Isn't that a blessing? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. Here's the truth. If people receive that, happy are they. Blessed is the man that follows the scriptures. Amen? Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I want to have an invitation this morning. If God has spoken to you, maybe your heart was already tender before the message even, and you said, the next time there's an invitation, I'm going forward. Why do we do an invitation every service or try to every service? It's because there may be just that one that God is speaking to. Maybe there's more. Maybe you are born again already. Maybe you just need to come to an old-fashioned altar and say, here I am, Lord. Save me. Save me from myself. Maybe you need to come this morning. I don't know what your need is. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. But the invitation is for you. Maybe there's other burdens that you're carrying. You just want to give it to God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just stand to your feet? Just just all stand and... The piano's going to play in just a moment. I'm going to pray first. And when I'm done praying, the piano will begin, and so will the invitation. If you need to come, you come. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide now in the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.
One more stanza. Nobody comes, we'll close. Father, we thank you for a wonderful morning here at Grace. We're looking forward to tonight. Lord, I pray that you be with Brother Paul. Give him the wisdom on what to preach tonight and and, uh, be with his spirit, Father. I pray that you would encourage him this afternoon. Be with his family as they travel. Father, give them safety. Lord, I just pray, though, that you'd be with our service tonight. But, Father, if there's somebody here this morning that still has questions about life or what they need to do, I pray, Lord, that they would ask someone, but I pray most of all that they would open up the scriptures and read. How pleasant it is to to read the scriptures and see the answer. Father, we pray now that you'd give us a wonderful afternoon. And Father, I pray you'd be with those that are watching and listening at home, that they would live lives that are glorifying you. Father, I pray that you'd be with Grace Baptist Church. Help us to continue to speak the truth, but to speak it in love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Christ of